Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am joined by the founder and CEO of Pacific Point, Dina Tierney. Dina founded Pacific Point in 2011 to bring Hawaii high-value consulting services in an area she had extensive experience in, customer relationship management. Being headquartered in Hawaii has enabled Pacific Point to have a unique reach as a crossroads between the U.S. and the APAC. Over the years, Pacific Point has expanded to Sydney and Singapore, in addition to U.S. locations in Honolulu and Denver. Prior to founding Pacific Point, Dina served in a variety of roles from functional to technical on project implementations enabling global companies to transform to customer-focused organizations while also improving marketing, sales, and services. As a woman in tech, Dina loves inspiring youth, especially girls, to pursue careers in technology. Pacific Point is a proud member of the Pledge 1% movement, committed to donating 1% of our time to tech-enabling youth. We are pumped to have such a creative and entrepreneurial-minded guest. So, Dina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Drew, for having me. I'm looking forward to, to sharing my story. Yes, yes. So we took our kind of research crack at uh, describing your story. What, in your own words, how would you say that you got into what you're doing today? Yeah, you know, it, um, it really started, if you dial it back, um, I, when I graduated from college, I um, got a degree in information systems and started my career as a software engineer. And probably within the first less than six months or so, I started working on customer relationship management solutions and implementations. And essentially what that means, for those that are not familiar, it is a software set, a set of software solutions that allows companies and organizations to better understand their customer so that they can market to them more efficiently. So it has marketing automation, it has sales automation, so they could sell to your customers more uh, meaningfully and also service them. So once they are a customer, how do you provide top-notch service to your customers? So it's really the front office kind of thinking of that as a, as a solution. And it really resonated me, with me because I, I really enjoy, you know, I'm a woman in tech, as you mentioned, and I jumped into tech early in my career, as, as, as I mentioned, but I always liked that intersection between business and technology. And for me, that front office functional area really made a lot of sense. So I was very fortunate, very early in my career, I jumped into CRM implementations and um, that's really where it all began. And um, throughout my career, I had amazing opportunities to do large scale implementations um, in a variety of roles, as you mentioned, from both technical and functional um, capacities. And then I had an amazing opportunity at one point in my career, I was living like a gypsy. So I don't know if you're familiar with the consulting lifestyle, but Monday through Thursday, flying to clients night, come back home Thursday night. And I ended up renting out my house in Dallas. I'm, I'm from Texas originally. And I ended up renting out my house and I was living like a gypsy. And I thought, you know what? Um, at some point I need to make a change and um, literally have, have suitcases in the bell captain's closet and they're bringing my stuff out every week and kind of hanging it up. They were, they were the greatest at any of those hotels. And I ended up uh, finding an opportunity in Hawaii through friends uh, to manage a large program here in the state. And so I was like, yeah, that's great. I'll move to Hawaii a couple of years, work on my tan and a bunch of other things that probably <laughs> need improvement. 
Um, so I thought it was a good idea and I was ready to stop living out of a suitcase. So came out here in Hawaii, which is where I am now, that's my background, and um, started working on a project out here as a program manager and quickly saw that in our market here in Hawaii, we are very far, we're a five hour flight from the West Coast. And I realized that that distance really meant that in some ways our islands are underserved when it comes yeah. to high value consulting services. And um, it became challenging to find the right kinds of people because there were limited resources to implement the types of programs that I was managing. And I remember thinking to myself at that time, it would be great if there'd be a vendor that would crack that nut because there's, there are opportunities here in our islands for that type of services. Uh, what I did observe is that some of the business you know, stakeholders or whatever that I spoke to during those first few years of, of me being here, was they kind of be like, Dina, you know, it's Hawaii, you gotta, you know, we can't get all that and it's different here. And it was almost like a little lowering of the bar. And I felt like, why? You don't need to lower the bar. So um, I ended up working and hiring vendors to come on and help me with my pro programs and projects that we were implementing and kind of infuse some ideas of how we could creatively provide the right talent and what resources need to be in Hawaii, maybe which resources don't. So anyways, I think that was probably the start. And then yeah. I was at an inflection point in my career in Hawaii. And I knew it was either time to stay um, and do something entrepreneurial and, and make a big change or go back to the mainland and continue with my career. And so at that point, that was when I said, okay, I think I'm going to take the plunge and uh, give it a go. So that was really the start of Pacific Point. Had you, had you always had in your mind that one day you might want to try your hand at starting your own business or did that develop somewhat as you went? It's a good question. I mean, I think I never really thought exactly what it might be, but I've always felt like at deep down, like my personality and knowing who I am and my style and kind of the way that I am. I, I work hard. I always want to do a great job. And I think that certain personalities that are like that feel like, you know, maybe one day all this effort can go to something that I can help build and that becomes mm. mine. And so I would say that down deep, yeah, I think there was a desire that I would become an entrepreneur, that I could build something of my own, but I don't think it really came, became clear until that moment where I was like, I'm kind of at this inflection point in my career. I'm going to go back to the mainland and go back and kind of elevate in my career or, you know, build. And so yeah. you know, that's kind of how it went. When you started to see that inflection point and see the opportunities that I have this entrepreneurial idea, how clear, how clear was it at that point? Was it like, I actually know exactly what this would take and I could start it like this and or did you just see the opportunity and there were still kind of miles to go and figure out what the actual solution would look like? I think there were, there were clear, there was clarity in certain aspects in the sense that I knew that I wanted to bring consulting services to the state, right? I want, you know, we have a lot of state government, government projects and I would see projects kind of falling sideways and I really wanted to help. So I knew that it would involve public sector I knew that it would involve helping local businesses here in the islands with consulting services. But some of those details, like you said, like how big did I want to go? How, how specific was the vision at that time? Probably not super specific. I just knew that this would be an area where I could make a difference and I wanted yeah. to try it out. And I knew, quote, what it was in the sense that it was consulting services. And I should mention at that time, when I started the company, it was much more of a general IT consulting company in the first few years of our business. 
Yeah, I was just going to ask, where where did you start? Like, what was the first kind of phase one of, of rolling it out and finding customers and stuff? It was tough. I'm going to tell you, uh, Drew, it is not for the faint of heart to start yeah. a business. And especially in the first few years, it is extremely challenging. I'm sure you know very well yourself. And um, in the first, you know, kind of the, the way that we started was, I looked for state opportunities. You know, I didn't, I didn't know a lot of people in public sector here in Hawaii at that time. And so um, I would tackle, look for RFP opportunities and start to put myself out there. And I knew that the tail on a, on a deal for public sector takes time. So I started that immediately, knowing that I probably wouldn't win something straight away. And I remember loss after, you know, RFP, you know, decline, blah, 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 all those and I remember some people were like, are you, are you going to keep doing it? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. So that was one immediate tactic was like, just start putting myself out there for the RFP so that people start to know who I am. And in the public sector, RFP responses, they're a lot of work, but they're a really great way to market to the public sector. Hmm. So that was what I was really after. I wasn't, I put forth a solid proposal. Obviously I hoped I won. But at the same time, how else was I going to get in front of them and give them a chance to know who I was? Yep. So that was part of actually a marketing investment too. The second thing I did in parallel to that was I, so immediately straight out of the gate, um, started working, you know, within my network and both on potential people that I may be able to target as prospects and clients, and also a network of past people that I had worked with that I would like to bring onto my team. And so I started thinking about how I could help large enterprises in, in Hawaii, specifically focused only on our large enterprise segment, not on this, you know, mid-market or SMB as my target customer, and look to them for how we could help them with implementation services, whether it be project management, business analysis, or some of those more general consulting services. And so that was straight away, and the buying process is much more expedient in yeah. um, in the commercial space. So that's really where we, we got the start. Were you full at that point when you're doing all this, were you full time? Like you had quit the other job or was it kind of moonlighting until it took off? No, I was, I was pretty much full on. I mean, I, I, I officially, the company was legally founded like a few months before I quit my job, but I mean, I wasn't really doing anything other than kind of getting my setting it up about what I wanted to do. I didn't really actively do a bunch. And then I, I left uh, where I was working and then it was full on, like everything. And so I still, when, you know, some people start a consulting company after they've secured a contract, I started with nothing. I was like, no, try it. And if it doesn't work, then I guess I'm moving on to my next career, <laughs> which, yeah. which was acceptable risk for me at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Same for me. How long, how long did it take? Do you remember before you landed your first contract or customer? Well, I had a few like little small things come up where I was hired to help. Um, now this sounds silly, but I was hired to help with some RFP responses. Um, I also did, and I should mention this because it's a key part of you know an entrepreneur's um, value that I, I like to share a lot, is that I also, in working my network, I, I offered a couple, I only did this like two, maybe three times, not sure three times, I had offered a pro bono project that was like a week long too. So I can't remember the specifics, but it was very confined. And I tell this story because the first person that I offered it to was a good friend of mine. I knew exactly what was going on. He was in a position of leadership. And I said, hey, I'm starting this business. Um, this, do you have an area where I could do this kind of a technology assessment? He's like, yeah, great. Like he trusted me, he knew me already. So it wasn't like yeah. 
him. Um, and, and he said, yeah, you know, let's come in and do it. That customer is still my customer today, 10 years later. Wow. I tell people that because that pro bono thing, I was really just trying to get quals. I was just trying to build relationship. It was yep. a investment again. I, and I managed it carefully. You don't go out and give away free stuff for nothing. So being smart about that from day one, because, you know, they've been referenced for me a bunch. And they, again, they continue to be my customer today. So, yeah. Oh, great. I, I love that. You started with my, you knew you started with a problem that you actually knew you could tackle in a bite-sized chunk that you weren't giving away years worth of time for free, you know, but not only did they turned to a customer, but likely were you able to use that experience as look what I did for them. Look, we did this here. I could do it for you as well. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. They've been, they've, they've been, some of it's repeatable. Some of it's not, but I've absolutely put them down as references and shown in, you know, not just like, here's someone you can contact for good work, but also like, here's the work we did. Cause it, it was, so perfect because the thing that I assessed ended up being their CRM. So it was like the perfect segue into like exactly where I needed to. And that's why they continue to be our customer. It was just so perfectly aligned. Yeah. Did you and, find uh, it, did you find it being a barrier at all when you mentioned earlier that the general attitude was kind of like, we don't expect that or like, that's not something that we do here. That's for the mainland. Was that something that you actually had to overcome? Like it took some, helping them think about it that way or, or not. Do you mean with cloud services or, or with pro bono for, or like, which no, part? with the, when you were talking, if I remember correctly, when you were talking about even the idea of like high-end consulting, you know, oh, like okay. true, true business consulting and, uh, you know, in Hawaii was something that they didn't even really expect to have access to. Yeah. I think that they, they knew, um, I think they had a feeling of what they wanted because again, we, we have people, it's just a very limited resource pool here. So I think that was, you know, known. I will say that what became a little more challenging was, because um, that because that was the beginning, right? It was much more like general consulting. And I think people got that. But while that was happening and I started working on the Salesforce from the CRM projects, that's really when, um, you know, cloud adoption in Hawaii, I mean, if we're talking 10 years ago, right? It's a little bit, now cloud adoption, enterprise level, totally fine, right? Everybody's yeah. fine. But back then, it did take it was, it was for Salesforce when, when we were doing those kinds of projects, much more mid market and SMB, you know, clients that we started with. So I feel very fortunate in the way that kind of rolled out because we started small, just because that was actually where the client base was that was doing things like Salesforce in our islands. And then it kind of now that there's more adoption, you know, it's obviously we have huge customers now, but. Um, I don't know if that answers your question yeah, entirely, yeah, but absolutely. yeah, it did take a I'm little convincing. <laughs> yeah, I'm always just curious, kind of breaking into new markets or adding new things. There's always some level of kind of education and reassuring that like, this is for you. And, you know, if they're not used to to spending any, you know, resources on, on investments like that. Um, when you look back, every company that has made it as far as you have has survived that early daunting few years that gobbles up so many great ideas, right? And so I'm curious as, as you reflect back, do you have anything you put your finger on that you've shared with other entrepreneurs or things that you feel like, hey, this really helped us avoid being the, the statistic, you know, of starting something and it failing in the first two to three years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you, you've got, you can't give up. I mean, I think that's, that's the thing is like, momentum takes time to build. Mm. And I think when you recognize that things, you know, you put the wheels in motion, 
And then all of a sudden, like, you're not going to see anything for a little bit. And I think when entrepreneurs can recognize that unless they've got that special unicorn, you know, it's going to take time and it, it takes time to build that momentum. And even now, you know, I, we're headquartered in Hawaii, but we have, we're offices in, in you know, Denver and, and in um, Sydney, Australia and Singapore. And those came along in more recent years. And again, same thing there. It's like, you've got to build the momentum. You're not going to see anything in the first minute, right? Yeah. So you've got to, you know, got to do that if you really want to not be that statistic. And then, and being able to adjust, right? If it, And I told myself, I remember telling myself at the beginning, if this market is not ready for Salesforce and CRM, fine, I'll move on. And so I think I'm going to tell them, I'm going to look for what I, you know, I'm going to offer what I can. Yeah. I, I'm going to be able to pivot if the market's not interested. Um, but give it a fair shot and uh, put forth that effort. How long do you think it took you to see evidence that this this is something that they're ready for? Is that a year in, two years in, right away? Like, how long did it take for you? Like, yep, this, this market's ready for this. I think for the Salesforce part, it took a few years. It wasn't it was not an immediate thing. And, and like I said, I think in part because it was a cloud technology yeah. and at the timeline, you know, how we lag a little bit here in the islands, it was probably just that, to be more honest. I think for the other serv, when we started it being more general services, I think there was an understanding and, you know, we, we could have continued down that trajectory. Um, but the, the, in Hawaii, especially at that time, and, and maybe still to an extent, people are more accustomed to a staff AUG kind of model, or I'm going to bring on an expert and I'm going to kind of lead and tell them what to do. Less familiar with, and that's how they viewed our company, right? That's how they originally viewed me because that's what they were accustomed to. But now that we're, we're, we're leading the Salesforce project. And so it's been this interesting pivot where there, it's not it's much more us driving the methodology, us driving how the implementation goes. And so that part has definitely been, um, was a little bit educational, but I think a lot of it was just tied to cloud and yeah, back then. Yeah, absolutely. Especially 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about the journey and maybe even a little bit of the philosophy of when you started to recruit people to actually build a team around what you're doing and scale by building the actual company, not just, the client base. How did you think about it? And what's that journey been like to build a team around in, inside of this business and grow it? Yeah, it it's challenging, you know, especially in the early days, because, you know, you're worried about cash, you're worried about risk, you're worried about performance. I mean, you're worried about a million things. And as a small business, it's very challenging, especially, you know, when we started and I said I was selling, you know, these high value consultants on an enterprise project. These are the strategic projects of our customers, multi-year long projects. And, you know, they have an expectation that person is going to come in and know what they're doing. Yeah, so that's, yeah. not, that's not an inexpensive person to hire. Right. And so I think balance, I, I think early on, we probably paid people well, very well to make sure that we could do that. That was an investment and we were off, made sure that we could deliver on what we were marketing. Um, I tapped into my network. I reached out to people I worked with in the past. I mean, some of the guys, uh, one of them recently moved back to LA a few years ago, but he moved here. I, I met him at my first job out of college. Wow. Brought him to Hawaii from Chicago. And, you know, I trusted him and I knew he had the expertise to lead these kinds of projects. And he did. 
and he stuck with me for probably a good five years. And like I said, he just recently, a few years ago, had uh, had left left Hawaii. Um, but you know, nevertheless, you know, I think it is tricky in those early days thinking about cash flow and how you're going to pay this person. And uh, did you and do a that. lot of the Did you do a lot of the first projects yourself, like you servicing the deals, the consultant, or did you immediately start bringing other people so it wasn't just you out there doing the work? Um, so I did all the sales and then when I sold those, those projects that were more, uh, general consulting, that was when I brought on the other people from the, uh, other people to run, to actually do the project. So I wasn't actually doing the projects. I wasn't gotcha. doing, and what that allowed for me and enabled that maybe other entrepreneurs can benefit from here is that it had allowed me to have a revenue stream. And it freed me up because they were just staff off. I mean, they were just staffed, right? And so yeah. once I sold that work and it was kind of secure, I was able to have cash flow coming in. I had to manage it obviously carefully, but nevertheless, it allowed me the freedom to then work on those Salesforce projects in parallel. And that's what was really, that was the thing that I knew the most and that I was starting to build. Um, Did you bring them in at that time and maybe even still just contract by contract or was it like, they work for you full time, and when this project's over, we'll find you something else. Yeah, everybody in our company now is full time. We have very few contractors and unique scenarios. Um, at that time, we probably started with a couple contractors, but then it's it's slowly, even on those big, you know, some of these were government staffing kind of projects as well in the early days of the company, working as a subcontractor to maybe a government, you know, prime or something like that. And those people we were starting to bring on as employees. So it didn't, it didn't take long before we were bringing on full-time employees. Gotcha. I would, I would say the first couple were on contract and then we started transitioning people to full-time. Yeah. Now, did you, did at any point, did you want to, or find a way to remove yourself from being the primary kind of sales lead for, for your company, or did you decide I actually love that. And that's what I, I'm still doing. Yeah, I, I do enjoy the sales. And what's funny is I don't have a sales background. I don't, it's just, I've never done sales until this company was started. And I think I'm, it's a, it's an area where I think I, I do a pretty decent job. I think in part, because I understand what I'm selling really, really well, because that's yeah. what I've been doing for my whole life. Um, and there is a point, we, we are at a point where I need to start taking a little bit less of a role in sales. And so we're hired, we, we've hired salespeople now to help. However, you know, I recognize that it's probably a, a sweet spot for me. I'm probably pretty good at it. And I get given the fact that I kind of, I know what I'm selling really, really well. Totally. Yeah. 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 I would imagine with that being one of your sweet spots that it would more just be about kind of delegating some of the stuff that anybody could do and mm -hmm. elevating to the to the customers of the projects that right now probably only you could land with your your knowledge your connections your you know all that stuff you've developed pricing like that right 100 percent. yeah i mean some of the lead gen type things and some other kind of some of those activities can certainly be managed by other people um so yeah it's 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 a transition and i'll say that's actually a work in progress yeah, for sure. How has the how has the emotional part of this been for you? I feel like it's different for everybody, depending on your personality or what maybe unique circumstances have happened along the business. But how would you characterize the emotional journey of being the founder of this company? 
Yeah, I mean, the first couple of years are tough. Like I said, you know, you're if you're working really hard. You're not seeing the wins, right? Like I like I mentioned, I mean, RFP after RFP response, and it's yeah. like okay, um, and it takes a toll, you know. And I, I I'm definitely an optimistic person. I'm always looking for what did I gain? What is the benefit from this? Even if I put forth this effort and I don't win, I I win some other things, right? So I'm always just um, very, very optimistic, but when you have that over years and you have people questioning, are you doing the right thing? You have people kind of, oh, that doesn't work here. You know, people aren't going to buy into that. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard that. And of course, you know, I was like, I'm going to show you it will, right. That, that only kind of fuels you a little bit, right. Or a lot. In some cases, depending on who it is, sometimes too. But you know, you it fuels you a little bit to say, I I don't know if that's necessarily true yet. Like I don't yeah. think the, the the things that have happened have demonstrated that. But it takes a toll, and um, it's exhausting. And it can I mean, there's always parts of entrepreneurship that are exhausting. And I think um, you let yourself have a moment, and you pick yourself back up. And real, if, as long as you feel like you're on the right track, right? So yeah, absolutely. It's emotional like this a little bit sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm always curious about it because it's inevitable that's going to happen, but I feel like we can learn and adjust and flatten that a little bit. You know, you're not going to be numb and neutral to it all, but it felt like, at least for me in the early days, it was way higher highs, which also meant way lower lows, you know? And I was just tied to what was going on instead of getting out of it with some perspective and feeling like, okay, that happens. You lose a customer or... You know, those kinds of things start to phase you a little less. It also sounds like you have kind of that, that almost like I think of athletes and the ones that they they thrive on the doubts and they thrive in a bit, you know, on the, they call it, you know, uh, locker room material. Like you say the wrong thing to Michael Jordan and his whole team, the other team was mad. Like they found out this one kid, he was a rookie, talked trash to Michael Jordan and, hit, and the kid's team was like, why'd you do that? You just turned him, like you just made him even better. Like don't do that, you know? Um, so you have that, but I also know every great athlete or every great, you know, business leader or whatever also has moments of self-doubt and has moments of, you know, we call it the imposter syndrome where you're like, do I know what I'm doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> am I about to let everyone down that I've recruited to this thing? Uh, has that ever, has that, has that ever, I don't know if the words plagued you, but been a moment and, and how do you work through those kind of moments of self-doubt? Yeah, well, before I talk about that, I will mention that it's great that you mentioned the athlete's mindset, that that's actually a huge part of our corporate culture. And I we have this thing called the athlete's consultant mindset. And it's all about those kinds of things. So it's funny that you mentioned that because I think it's so much a part of who I am that it's distributed itself into our company culture. Yeah. We have a podcast. Our podcast series I just launched is um, the athlete series. I, I interview different athletes. So it's just super funny that you pick that up from just that conversation. Um, yeah. But back to your question. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have, I definitely have had moments where, um, you know, I've, I start to question a bit myself, but I think I'm fortunate to be surrounded by enough smart people and enough qualified people at this stage in our company um, that, you know, you realize, you know, that you're doing the right thing. And, um, that kind of validation, I think is important. Sometimes even when you talk to someone and they say, you're not doing the right thing, you're like, where are they coming from? And it's like, 
I think I am doing the right thing. So, you know, yeah, somebody yeah. says it, you know, and then I'm like, okay. It's kind of like when you read a Yelp review and you're like looking at the person, you're like, eh, I don't know if I trust that person's opinion. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's, I yeah, think check the source, right? You check the validity of the source. Exactly. Yeah. Check the source, see where they're coming from. What sort of perspective is it? But like I said, I think it is tough to be surrounded by people that are going to always validate you. And I'm not looking for that from anyone, but sometimes there's, there's that moment where you're like, am I doing it right? And I'll kind yeah. of like, kind of like you bounce back, right? You do a little ping and see what you get back. And sometimes those little pings help me go like, I'm fine. I'm, I'm doing just right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now you got me super curious about the athletes consultant mindset. What, what is that inside your company? And, and tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because it's been a part of our culture. We, we, um, we like sports at our company. I, I also personally love like business and sports analogies and, and it sort of played in so nice <laughs> things. And then um, last year we launched an employee campaign to sort of make it more official and we call it Team Pacific Point. And we talk, it, and really it was funny because during the pandemic, I feel like we, I, I felt a little disconnected from my team. I mean, first of all, we're distributed anyways, right? You know, all of yeah. our locations that I just mentioned. And, um, but then on top of that, we do fly people to Hawaii or I go wherever I go to, I used to go to Sydney before six weeks. And so there was still connection, right? And we had our all hands and all the other stuff that lots of companies do, but during the pandemic, it just felt so different. And I felt so disconnected from people. I felt like they were disconnected from who we were and lost part of the company identity, if you will. So last year I launched, um, Team Pacific Point as our internal employee campaign. And really it started with key phrases that we can say to each other so that when you are on a Zoom call, there's so much negativity just all over the place. You turn on the news, you turn on social, everything was just full of something that just made you feel down, right? Yeah. But if you got on the phone with your Zoom, front, your, your colleagues on Zoom, I wanted that to be the most positive experience. So we, we have phrases like, okay, guys, it's time to suit up. Or we have phrases that will be like, keep your head in the game, right? Yeah. And words of encouragement. So it started with words of encouragement that we can say to each other at different phases of our project to help us stay, you know, stay on, on track for what we need to accomplish for our customers. So that's kind of how it started. And then that's kind of the first iteration. And now we're, we're continuing to roll that out um, further in like value statements and other things like that. And, and then the podcast with the athlete series is another way to, to, to enforce that. Are there uh, any particular um, like philosophies that you draw from sports that are pillars or like, you know, kind of key ideas? You're like, I really just want us to get this coming out of this idea of the athlete consultant. Um, I, I would say the key pillar, we have actually a few values. A lot of it's playing to win. Right. I, I want to make sure that our, the success of our customers is top. You know, I think it's playing as a team, understanding your role, your responsibility, mm -hmm. because if I don't play my team, I don't play my role, then it kind of screws up the, if I'm, if I'm the project manager and I, I need to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And all of a sudden the solution architect is being the PM, like that's just, it's, it's just wrong. So, you know, knowing your role um, and things like that, that can really help amplify our work, but also before this whole thing got launched, I would always tell people when they interviewed with our company, part of our company culture is we don't let each other down. We win, we win for our customers. We pull each other up when they need to get pulled up. And that's such a huge part of it. You know, I might have a moment or maybe I drop the ball, like, but 
you come, you come and you help me and then I'll hold your hand and pull you up when you get pulled too. And that, I think that style of like, you know, accountability and teamwork has been, it was there before all of this even got launched. Like yeah. it was just part of who we were. Yeah. You just kind of codified it and gave it an identity really. Exactly. Which yeah. is so powerful. It's why I think we connect a story so much and we connect to teams and things like that because it takes principles but brings them to life with like an identity. Like it's kind of like a game. And you're like, oh, yeah, it is kind of like a game. We're kind of like a team. It's like metaphor and stuff can can really carry some powerful meaning. Yes, it is. It's so true. And sometimes it's it brings it brings it more tangible, especially if you have new people coming onto your team who aren't familiar with how to, you know, do project work or things like that. When you can draw a parallel to something people do understand, um, then that's, I think that's really meaningful and impactful and it's internalized. Yeah. Do you, have you always had a kind of a love for sports or was that more just an apt uh, analogy that your mind able to grab to? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've played sports since I was little, and I enjoy sports a lot. I get very passionate about winning. <laughs> I yeah. think that's an entrepreneurial spirit, no matter what. And, yeah. um, and I get, you know, I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader, too, right? Whatever it is that we need. And so I've always liked sports. And then I, it was funny because when the company started going within the first, you know, couple of years in, sort of people started coming to the company. That was when I started to realize that people who... I hired that had played team sports when they were younger, or maybe they play them now on a fun, you know, yes, races sure. or whatever. I noticed that they excelled more in our dynamic. And it, it all of a sudden things were starting to hit for me where I was like, okay. And then some people who were like, yeah, you know, I didn't play team sports. I was like, oh, okay. Like kind of, it started to like realize, it made me realize like there's something to the way we do things that yeah. makes sense to people that were from that kind of team sport background. Yeah, I mean, certainly if, you're, if your culture is one of competition and collaboration, that it's actually both at the same time, like competitive because we want to win, but yeah. collaborative that we're doing it together and for the person that we're, we're serving, that has really, you, can, you learn those lessons pretty powerfully. And if you had a good, you know, sometimes people have a bad experience in sports, they had a terrible coach and whatever. <laughs> but if you had a positive one, that is something that kind of seeps in, like a common goal and playing different roles and leaning on each other and the last second comeback. You know, those, those things are possible. You're like, I've been in this situation where we pulled it out somehow, you know? The um, completion and winning, it's huge. Yeah. I have a friend who's, I love him to death. We're just different on this. And he had one of the more bad experiences and felt wow. like he was, you know, he's more of the artist type and felt like he was forced into sports. So I was like, totally get that. Yeah. But he's gone so far. We're in a, not a heated conversation, but like we're having a conversation where he's like, I don't, I think sports are toxic. I'm not putting my kids in it. And I was like, I just want you to consider that that was your experience. Like for me, it made me in many ways who I am. Like I had a lot of low self-esteem and low confidence and certain coaches came and like, pulled that out of me and I learned social skills like with friends and teammates and like that's possible you know and so it was just so funny like because I hadn't considered the other side that maybe you had a really bad experience and you felt you know discouraged and cut from a team or whatever so anyways I'm trying and to keep that in mind before, now but there's team there's teams and other things too and I totally if you're you know, even if you are an artist, that's typically a little bit more independent, but there's pieces. I mean, even where I have this conversation with the, the golf, um, I interviewed the first, I don't know if you're familiar with first tee, but they're yeah. 
that does that. So I interviewed the, the executive director for here at Hawaii. I was like, you know, people don't think of golf as a team sport and kind of went through and talked about it. And I was thinking, you know, like it kind of is though. Like you, you're Especially there. between the caddy and them. You have a caddy. Yeah. You have, it is. It's not that it is. And so yes. every, even if you're a singular player, swim meet, I mean, artist, whatever, yes. coaching you, there's somebody mentoring you. Um, you like know, even I, Formula One. Do you ever watch Formula One? I do. Same. Same. Like, so yeah, there's that main driver. I love Formula One. There's yeah. that main driver, but there's hundreds of people that they are working in tandem to build the car, to put the strategy in place, to support. And like, it's individual, but not really. It's amazing. I, yeah, I, I went to the F1 race in Singapore a couple of times. And Whoa. first time, my I, was, I, I knew like F1, but like you said, when you got there, you're like, man, there are so many people that make this work. Yeah. It's highly technical. Yeah. They're communicating. Like, I mean, it was just like amazing. It was the most amazing thing that I had seen just the orchestration of that um yeah so, yeah so, yeah so cool if anyone hasn't watched it the drive to survive i think is what it's called on netflix oh you're gonna love it i'm so excited okay. i got to introduce you to it okay you, got, you gotta watch it so i already liked it and i i couldn't put it down but my wife could care less but we sat in on one episode and she was hooked for the whole series and now she literally will watch it with me on sunday mornings like hey How's Lewis Hamilton doing or whatever? I'm like, this is awesome. It, they basically follow around different teams throughout certain seasons, and you get to see all the inner dynamics of the teams and their drivers' personalities, and they follow throughout a season, and it just it's a brilliant series. They've done probably two or three different years now, so you, you could binge if you wanted to. I will definitely have to binge. And even the two drivers, like they'll play. To, I mean, it's such a it's such an interesting sport. And they they play together and against each other. That's that's what's weird to me. Yeah, it's like you're both partners, but you're also kind of competing because you both want to be the top person. You know, yeah. it's super amazing. interesting. So uh, the point is, even if it is an individual and it's an artist, I feel like they're still like you know. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, my curiosity for you has, I ask this anyways, but. Maybe it brings into sports, maybe it doesn't. But have you found any certain rhythms or habits or things that help you be your best, right? Often the athlete is thinking like, how do I show up and really give my gift? How do I be energized? How do I be on? Uh, have you found anything over the years that's been helpful for you, and whether it's a routine or a habit or a resource? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I have – I do a lot of self-talk. I mean, I have to. I have to motivate. Yeah. I have to – really clear my head I have to and I I think clearing my head and I, I'm a level-headed person and I think like you said over the years when you kind of have all this you really put things in perspective and I think having a level head keeping it clear and giving yourself this the self-talk that helps you keep that that strength or that balance whatever it is that you need at that yes. moment you, you know yourself well enough to be like I need to know that x y and z like at this moment or yes so I will say those practices have been um, huge for me, you know, keeping a level head, clearing myself, making sure like, what do I need to be doing right now? You know? Yeah. When you say clearing yourself, what do you mean? What does that mean to clear your mind? Clear my head, you know, cause, cause there's, I don't, I mean, I'm sure you feel this, but there's like the chatter things, right. And it's like, yeah. I got this issue. I got that issue. I got this bigger picture, this tiny little thing. I mean, there's so much noise and, the moment that you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm having this challenge and this challenge, whatever they may be. 
and sorting out, okay, let's get a level head here. What is it that I really need to ta- tackle? What's the actual issue? Yeah. What do I need to go for? Um, otherwise, you're going to be chasing a bunch of things that I'm sure matter, but you got to pick, you got to pick your priorities. And so I think yeah. that's what I'm clearing my head. Yeah, you might be chasing the you know the squeaky wheel that actually wasn't the biggest problem that we had. That was one of the things. Uh, it's not a sports analogy, which many listeners will be help will be thankful for at this point. But my friend, who is an ER doctor, was talking to me about the process that that changed uh, kind of emergency protocol for a while. That the first time they put an ABC checklist in, it was the actual priority every time in order of importance what to check for, and he said. The reason why that's important is because you may come in, let's say, or let's, let's use the example for me. Let's say I got, I got shot in the leg or something, and I come in and blood is spouting from my, my leg. Typically, they would say, well, that's what needs our attention. Let's go to the leg. Let's fix that. But he said many times people would die because they maybe have something obstructing their windpipe. But you didn't see it, and it didn't, seem, it didn't present itself as the most urgent, and you just chased the obvious. Yep. So yeah. they said, you'll die in three minutes from blood loss, but you'll die in 30 seconds from your airway being blocked. So even if, you're, even if your leg is spurting blood, they're still checking your airway first, then they're checking your chest, and then they'll go to the thing that's presenting itself. And I think as business leaders, the analogy I took for that is we'll often feel like we need to chase whatever email just came in or demand came on us without thinking, well, hold on, is this priority for my time right now? Like, mm-hmm. is this the best use of, of this moment? Um, is that, uh, I'm assuming we're talking about the same thing, right? 100% same page. So are we, when you have those reflective moments where you're trying to sort stuff out, is that mostly on the fly? Like, is that something you're doing just as you're going about your day or do you set aside time? Like, do you feel like you need time where it's dedicated to kind of sorting things out? No, I, I, it might be a little bit of a mix. I think it's mostly on the fly when I catch myself, you know, I'm like, okay, I got a lot to do. What do I, what do I need to focus on? Uh, or something create like you said, you get a crazy email or something happens. You're like, okay, hold on, I get to put this in perspective. Where am I at? What do I got to do? It's mostly on the fly. Um, yeah. If I have, if I have like a moment where I don't have, you know, tons of meetings and other stuff going on, then I'll kind of take a step back and look at the company and be like, okay, I need to make sure these pieces are going. Um, so a little bit of both, but I would say on the fly, a lot of it. Okay. Said you know, in the moment, just making sure, checking myself. What about thinking about the future? When do you, when do you get time to do that? Where you're actually thinking about where are we going, you know, yeah. next year, three years from now, that kind of thing. Interestingly, I think I think about it a lot. Um, and then I have like, it's always, a, it's like a weird thing where I think like in your head, for me, I collect a lot of data points. Like I'm seeing you know, see what happens on a project or see how my team, you know, maybe there's a skill gap over here. So my head's like constantly thinking about how do I, is this, this might be an opportunity for me. Like I'm always kind of looking at things, collecting those data points. And then I'll, you know, I don't have like a time on my calendar where I'm like once a week on Friday at three, you know, I, but I do have probably about once a week where I do gather thoughts. I'll write down maybe a couple bullets or something, but it's definitely not a, you know, block on my calendar it'd be great if you know i did do that it'd be nice if i had that in my agenda yeah and then and then sometimes i kind of peel back like i'll observe things and i'll bounce it off the team i'll be like you know i've seen this it feels like we have this gap or we 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 smooth sail till we get to this part you know and these are the things we want to do or i notice clients have this particular problem in the last three conversations i have 
this is an opportunity for us. Here's some ideas that we can go to test that out and try that out. So yeah. it's, it's pretty frequent that I'm looking at things, but my vision is cast. Like the, the big picture vision is cast. And then I'm kind of these incremental things that kind of adjust as we go. I don't know if that sure. makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah, you've already done the hard yards of feeling pretty clear about where we're going but you're collecting little data points on maybe pivots, small pivots, or, you know, is this the time to do this? Or is it next year? That kind of thing. I was smiling earlier when you said, I, I wish I could set that time aside. <laughs> and I thought, you know, we could talk to your boss. I bet she'd approve it. Oh, wait, you're the boss, right? Like you could, if you wanted to set, yeah. that, set that time aside. Uh, I, I, the, the reason I ask is some people find it helpful. Some don't like, mm -hmm. I don't really think there's a philosophy one way or the other. It's just what serves you. So if on the fly serves you the way you're doing it, awesome if you actually would crave it and find it really helpful then it'd be like okay well, let's figure out how to rearrange the schedule so you get an hour a week to be the visionary for the company you know you're so natural at it um man that's so fascinating how different personalities go about the in the business on the business thing you mm -hmm. know and that that's that to me is the tension like right now i even feel our scale issue is trying to get me more out of the business and thinking like it's helpful, especially in the early years, it's helpful to drive the initiatives and land the clients and do that kind of thing. But man, at some point you feel like you're dropping the ball, at least I do, I feel like I'm dropping the ball on picking my head up and, and trying to move the ball you know, a year down the road or three years down the road. Um, has, that, has that gone in seasons? I would assume it would kind of go in seasons where you feel that more in certain seasons and less in other seasons. It is, and I think it, it, um, it escalates, I don't know if it escalates the right word, but like it, you know, I feel like you, you hit a, you, you grow and you hit a, a moment and you're like, great, I've got a little bit of smooth sailing. Then all of a sudden, like you hit the next growth port, you get a certain type of customer, you get a larger this or a bigger that. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, now I'm pushed to the next level. And it's just this, it's a constant thing that just never really stops. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then have you found for you personally, has something like mentors, advisors, advisory board, things like that, have they been part of the story and helpful or not part of the story? Yeah, I, you know, I don't have that really. I really don't. I mean, I, I have, you know, like I said, I ping a lot yeah. and people that I trust in certain, with certain topics and, um, but I don't have an official, you know, mentor or even a partially official mentor. Um, I don't have a board or advisors. Um, it's something that I've thought about, like, especially now, like with the growth strategy that we have, I feel like there are different perspectives and other experiences that we are now facing that, you know, I could benefit from. So I'm definitely not saying it, it's right or wrong that I did it. Totally. It, it happened. And probably at this point, it's, it might not be a bad idea for us to start considering a board, particularly with the kind of international growth and different things that are happening, that it's, it might be a good time. Um, but to date, uh, not necessarily anything formal, um, per se. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a selfish question for me. I'm always gathering different people's advice and experience on that. And, you know, one the, the one person I would invite to be like an advisory board member for us I asked him, do you think we should be doing this? Are we being irresponsible not doing this? He was like, no. He's like, you're too, you don't, the business doesn't need it yet. You don't need more cooks in the kitchen. You guys are doing fine. Keep going. He said, I'll let you know if you ever do. And that was just more of a helpful perspective. Like, I think sometimes when you hear about other people's companies that have that, and you're like, I think I, do I have to have that? Versus, 
I don't know, do I? Is this the right time? I think we're doing fine. And then maybe you get to a place like that where you see the, the value of the connections they may have or the advice from having done international business or whatever. So, that, yeah, it wasn't a leading question, just genuinely curious. I get you. And it's funny you say that because I there's a venture capital, a VC that I trust, and he's great. And I've known him for years. I think his company actually started at the same time I did. And probably last year, I told him, like, oh, what do you think about our company getting VC? Do you think it? And it, I thought he would be like, you know, that's his thing, right? He'd be right. like, yeah, you know, here's all the pros, and it's a great thing for you. And he was like, honestly, Dina, like, you'd be giving up. I mean, he was very honest. Like, you'd be yeah. giving Things. you're leading the project you're leading the company fine like you really need to soul search this because once you give it i mean it was really like yeah. a moment of like okay i don't want to jump into this like i thought he would be the first guy to be like yeah it's gonna take you to the next level you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah so far it seemed like it's a little bit it's still never a no-brainer but it's a little bit of a no-brainer if you're real tech heavy like where you need a lot of r d capital to be the first to market with that app or that technology but for like professional services it feels a little little like less uh necessary not unnecessary depending on your situation but like we shouldn't rush to think about that yeah i think the scale starts to become a part of yes you and that's that's where i think a lot of the companies that i've seen at least in um professional services will be like okay got a good foundation scale's either going to keep going like this or it's going to kind of go like this. And yeah. so you can make a choice, but there's pros and cons to all those things. And that's, um, that's the, the joy of being, <laughs> these things. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I just looked and saw the time and I promised you a certain time block. So I don't want to take up too much time. Let me go ahead and get into our lightning round questions. So I've got five questions for you that we've asked every founder on the podcast and I'm going to start with number one with you. So if you could ingrain just one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Play to win. You know, I, I said it before, we're very, me and everyone at our company, I feel so lucky to have the opportunity that we have with our clients. They took a chance on us. Um, so we need to play to win for them. And it's not easy. Um, but having the victory for the client is a victory for us. Mm. Um, you, you still got to manage the contractual bits, but you know, that, oh, yeah. that would be play to win. Awesome. Okay. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? I think the best is to follow your instincts. You know, your own gut and intuition is amazing. And mm. so it is important for you to feel comfortable and follow your instincts. Um, maybe the worst would be, you know, I mean, the, the concept of stay in your lane. And I think that this, the idea of do one thing, do it really well, is such a statement that people can interpret in the wrong way. And so yeah. still be focused on quote one thing, but a lot of people are like, well, only do this and only do that once. So I, I still feel like I'm focused on one thing, but it might be a little broader than what you think that one thing should be. So yeah. anyways, yeah. that stay in your lane. I like that. I like that though, because I think we do need to bring context and we need to bring wiggle room into certain axioms that are maybe most of the time or a lot of the times true. But if you just take it blindly, you might be missing that you could totally diversify the offerings you have or whatever. And that'd be really helpful and still serving the ultimate you know, focus of the business. Um, so I really I'm glad you brought that up. OK, question number three, what causes you the most stress or worry leading this organization? 
worry for me is maybe the right word, but I can tell you that I care a lot about my team. I think about them so much. I think about how I can help them be their best, how I can provide a meaningful work experience, a learning environment, a positive environment. Um, I think about sometimes what they're going through, maybe personally, if I know, I think about challenges they might be facing, either technical on a project or a challenging customer. Hmm. And I, I just, I want to make sure that I can show them that I'm proud of them. And I will tell you that that is just always like, worry is not the right word, maybe concern or whatever, but like, yeah. so it's such a thing where I'm like, do they know that I am proud of them? Do they know that I really want to see their success? And sometimes I, I, I hope that I'm, I'm able to do that for them. I love it. Yeah, the authenticity of that comes comes through. That's cool. So question number four, what is your current BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal, or some version of that way of thinking? All right, cool. Well, our vision is to be the, the leading Salesforce consulting partner uh, between the Rocky Mountain region and Asia Pacific. It's a broad area, but I think being located and headquartered in Hawaii gives us this amazing reach, very unique, and I think we're able to optimize um, you know, that, that market, you know, across the region because of the time zone advantages that we can play into. And I want to provide our team with these interesting opportunities across these markets, you know, so they're not pigeonholed into any one area. Um, so that's my goal is that we can, we can tackle that region and, and be a leader. Heck yeah. I love that. Okay. Last question is kind of a fun, creative question. So we're going to play the game called back to the future. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past, uh, but the rule is we're not there to change the series of events or anything. You get to pass a message along to your younger self. When would you go back, and what message would you deliver to that younger version of yourself? Gosh, that's such a great question. I, I think that I would probably go back to the beginning of the company and tell my, you know, I would share more of the self-talk that I already do. Yeah. But certainly, um, encourage myself to not be afraid of risks, um, to take big risks. And, um, yeah, that's probably what I would say, you know, be tough and take, take those risks. It's yeah. worth it. Come on. So far that's been a, ver like a, a version of the, of the most common answer I've gotten over 200 interviews. Really? Yeah. Which means something to me. Like if people that I respect that are really doing awesome things in the world all have the same message, I wish I'd gone for it sooner. I wish I'd trusted my instincts. I wish I would have said, you can do this, take big risks, you know? I'm like, we got to pay attention to that. That is that is some profound wisdom coming out. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. I, I agree. I love being around entrepreneurs. And, yeah, I agree. Awesome, awesome. Well, Dina, thank you so much for making time. I know that you are incredibly busy and doing awesome things. So thank you for making time to spend this hour with us. It's been a treasure to me and I'm sure it has been equally valuable to our audience. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.